you're listening to episode 21 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and here are five predictions for the Cardinals in 2019. Hey, Cardinals fans, welcome to the last podcast of the offseason. Can you believe it? In fact, when you're hearing this, we will be just one single day away from the start of the opening series in Milwaukee, which is pretty darn exciting. And real quick, speaking of exciting, stick around because I have a cool thing to tell you at the end of the show. So make sure that you listen all the way through for that special announcement. Now, Alex, the last time we talked, we kind of tossed out the idea that the spring of contract extensions might be putting a little bit of pressure on the Cardinals to get their own contract extension done with Paul Goldschmidt. And surprise, they did it just a few days later without Goldschmidt ever playing a regular season game as a St. Louis Cardinal. We all heard that Mo and company felt like they had a pretty good idea of what it was going to take to get him to sign a contract, but were you surprised to see it done as early and at the final price point that it was? I was surprised, but looking back now with hindsight, it really, I guess, wasn't a big surprise, especially when you consider all the other extensions uh, that are being signed and the fact that, you know, players even like Mike Trout are at least seem to be kind of raising concern about the, the idea of reaching free agency based on what's happened uh, this off season, so I, I was certainly surprised when it happened. I was, and I mean that in a good way. I was very happy. I thought it was uh, very, very good news. But I think when you put all the pieces together, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that it's. I mean, there's a conversation to be had about <laughs> some of the best players in baseball being afraid of free agency. Maybe we dive down that rabbit hole another off season, but it is interesting to see the Cardinals reach out when they did be at least a little bit aggressive in going after that extension and to see Paul Goldschmidt basically go, yep, nope, that sounds good. I'm in <laughs> um, based off of one spring training really. And, and I guess in, if you're looking for the, the positive glass half full side of that, I, I don't know that there's a glass half empty side of it, but <laughs> you get the point. Uh, that means that what the Cardinals presented to Paul Goldschmidt this spring was pretty convincing. Yeah, and I, I don't know what type of how bad a spring he could have had to where they all of a sudden would have lost interest in, uh, you know, trying to do this. But it's certainly nice that I don't know that we're just not going to have to hear about this all season. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, I mentioned last week. I don't know if that's a big deal or not uh, it, w- with regard to the player that is. But certainly from a fan standpoint, I, I get sick and tired of hearing about it and it just it makes me feel better about their off season yeah it, um I, I don't know if it just kind of conveniently worked out this way or if you know this was kind of uh their plan all along but it does kind of give their plan a little more puts it a little more into focus i guess if that makes sense that if they felt confident going into the trade with goldschmidt that they could certainly sign him then I kind of see the off season in a bit of a different light than I, than I had before. I mean, I still have, you know, I'm still going to be a whiner and complain about certain things that maybe they could have done here and there, but it does make me look at it in a more positive way. Yeah. And I think there's, 
there's some part of it, some part of me, I guess, that wonders if the the way the offseason shaped up, the way the spring played out, the way that these other contracts were presented, if that kind of just fell into John Mozeliak's lap and gave him this beautiful opportunity. And if it didn't play out that way, if we would be looking at a much more drawn out process, because it's it is sort of that climate of baseball right now that these guys don't want to deal with a, a long free agent pursuit. They'd rather just have the security. And I mean, you know, we talked about it with Mike Trout. There are people saying he left money on the table. You could say that about all of these extensions that have been signed this spring. But with Goldschmidt, once Arenado signed the extension, once Trout signed the extension, once Bregman signed an extension, it was kind of like, None of them had to be afraid to be the first guy to move anymore. <laughs> and and that worked out in favor of the Cardinals. I'm just curious if they would have been able to get this contract done if the spring hadn't played out like it did. And obviously that's a rhetorical question. No one can answer it, but it's an interesting thought experiment nonetheless. Yeah. And again, you know, I wasn't thinking about this, I guess, until it actually happened. But from his standpoint, I guess it does make a lot of sense because, you know, he's not as young as Harper or Machado. Um, he's not as good as Trout, you know, nor, nor as young as Trout. So he, he could have been also looking like, hey, I, I'm seeing what's happening with these guys. A year from now, I'm going to be, what, 32? I, I keep forgetting. What is he going to be a year from now, 32? 32, 32 yeah. Okay, that's, yeah. So... Not knowing what's on the horizon in terms of, you know, what's my outlook going to look like? This could have been a, a no-brainer for him, even in spite of the fact that, as a lot of people have mentioned, you know, he's he's a top union guy, and perhaps it's important for him to get as much money as possible. And maybe th- there's a part of him that felt this was the best way for him to get as much money as possible. There were no guarantees, for sure, about what his contract would look like as a free agent. So it made a lot of sense for him. It obviously made sense for the Cardinals. It's weird to say that it, it seems like it's a team-friendly contract again for Goldschmidt when it's <laughs> the biggest contract in Cardinals history. But, you know, when you're talking about a top five player in the game, you got to pay the premium price tag, I guess. But all of that said, that sets up the Cardinals for a season where they don't have a lot of those questions lingering and in a division like the NL central that I think is going to be important to not have additional questions. There are enough questions about the outfielders or about the rotation or the bullpen, what have you that to not have to worry about Paul Goldschmidt in a contract year and maybe being distracted by those conversations or the organization, whatever, just to not have to deal with it. I think can only be a positive thing at this point. Yeah. And can we talk about, and and believe me, I think a lot of this has been overblown, but can we talk about what a difference a, a year or two makes with regard to the Cardinals and Cubs and as far as drama is concerned? <laughs> yes, let's do. <laughs> because I don't want to lay all this at the, uh, at the feet of Matheny, but there were several spring trainings where it, you could just kind of tell, and it was hard. It was hard to kind of really uh, pinpoint the exact problem because either the people covering the team didn't quite know, and they just kind of could kind of get a sense of of what was going on. That you know that there was turmoil or or discord uh, behind clubhouse walls, but there were several springs in a row where it just did not 
feel right. And mm-hmm. I never m- made too much of it at the time just because one, it was spring. And two, you just never know with this stuff of how much, if it's a big deal or not. You know, some of this stuff where once you start winning, then it all ceases uh, to be a big, you know, it's no longer a big deal. No one cares anymore. But that said, like now it's it's like the Cubs. <laughs> I, it's they've just had an off season from hell. I don't know how else to say it. And, and especially for a team that I, when I said at the beginning, I think a lot of it's overblown. Like they're still a really good team. And I know part of our preview today is we're going to pick the projected standings. Um, and believe it or not, I haven't quite figured out what I'm going to say yet, but I think I'm going to still have them in first. But the fact that a lot of people are talking about like, you know, are they collapse? You, you know, how are they going to bounce back, find their mojo? Like a part of me is like, what are you even talking about? Like they're totally fine. But another part of me does kind of see where you could talk yourself into this being a, I don't want to say a disaster season, but the season where everything kind of, uh, falls apart or starts to kind of break away from what they've been the last couple seasons. There was an interesting article in The Athletic. I have not read the whole thing. I've read bits and pieces of it, but it Same kind here. of... It was, it was too long on my lunch yeah, break. It is. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the current, current yeah. open tabs on my <laughs> yeah. internet browser. I haven't finished it yet, but there's a lot of context that kind of leads you to believe that there's this drama is in some way very real in Chicago right now, whether it's... And I sort of posed this question in our group chat earlier today, is the drama actually real? Or is this kind of setting things up so that if this year goes horribly wrong, they can say, well, we saw it coming and people just didn't carry their weight. And there are things like, you know, alcohol and fast food in the clubhouse. There's talk of people seemingly outside the organization feeling like the Cubs have sort of coddled some of their young stars. Those aren't things that anyone likes to hear about the team days away from opening day. And all of that is there. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. And and you know what? I can't promise this or anything, but something tells me if Milwaukee doesn't just go on that tear at the end of the season and win what nine of 10 or whatever they want to wrap up the NL central or to tie the Cubs, then win that play in game. Say that doesn't happen. The Cubs win the NL central. Like it looked like they were going to the entire season and they go to the NLCS or whatever, something tells me none of this stuff would matter right now Mm -hmm. at all. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but after their wildcard game with the Rockies, um, and I should probably tell everyone that we're going way off script. We had not intended for this, for (laughs) us to talk about this, or at least not talking about this, uh, this early, but anyway, um, after their wildcard game with the Rockies, which they, uh, what they lose two one or one I think it was two to one in extra innings. I had gone to bed, I believe, if I recall. Um, it was very late. Uh, so had most people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> including the Cubs uh, hitters. Apparently, <laughs> well, Terrence Gore is never really awake uh, when it comes <laughs> to hitting. Uh, but there was this weird story the next day about how if the Cubs are going to be successful the next season, they need to fix some things, and they made a comment about one player while everyone else is pumped up and, and trying to get in the game. There's one player that was like on an iPad or something, in the <laughs> but they never named who that player was. And to me, it really smacked of one of those things that like, 
you don't even point that out if you win that game. Right. Because it doesn't matter. Yeah. So some of this stuff is trying to wade through, like, does this matter? Or is this just a very easy thing to talk about because they lost or because they're Pakilla is projecting them to only win such and such games or whatnot, or they're not the clear cut favorite. Like for instance, going into the 2017 season, you would have to be crazy to not pick them to win the division. It's a weird place to be in when you are kind of projected to have this window where you'll be unstoppable and turns out you're actually pretty stoppable. Yeah, it's not and, as easy as it, as it looks. Like, it makes the Cardinals 2000 to 2015 look crazy impressive, doesn't it? That, that's exactly where I was going with that. It's it's fascinating to watch. And and I live, actually, currently a lot closer to Cubs fans than I do to Cardinals fans, in, in mass, at least. And I hear their conversations a lot of times. And there's this very wide range of reactions that kind of is those, those more level-headed people who will say, look – the team won a lot of games last year. Things didn't break their way at the end of the season, but it wasn't a lost cause. And there are a lot of reasons, like actual baseball performance reasons, guys being hurt, underperforming, whatever, that, yeah. that are the reasons they didn't win. But then you swing the pendulum the other way and you've got these dramatic reactions that it's kind of like, hi, everyone. Yes, this is hard to do. Welcome to the party. And you got to feel like the Cardinals as an organization, maybe as we as we swing this back to the script and, and talk about the Cardinals a little bit, can sense that. I feel like a couple of years ago, the Cubs could sense that the Cardinals were reeling. And right now, it's a great opportunity for the Cardinals to kind of reclaim their role in this NL Central mix, even though as we will talk about, it's going to be very, very tough for whatever team wins the division. And the team that gets the wild card spot will likely be have just as hard of a time holding off the third place team uh, as as the first place team does holding off whoever finishes second. So it's an it's a an interesting time in the life of NL Central fans. We spent all that time talking about the Cubs and didn't even mention the Brewers. And I'm sure they'll come up as we move along here. But as you may have picked up, what we would like to do tonight is offer you some predictions about the season and how we think things will play out for the Cardinals and the division as a, a subset of that. So Alex, the first question you actually sent me was if blank happens, the Cardinals will win the NL Central. Do you want to answer this first, or do you want to hear my answer first? Why don't you, why don't you answer first? Okay. So this was actually the last thing that I came up with an answer for because I wasn't sure where I was going with it. But my answer is, if Marcel Ozuna has a big year, the Cardinals will win the NL Central. And I say that because I think I feel comfortable with Matt Carpenter and with Paul Goldschmidt Dexter Fowler is what he's going to, I mean, that's going to be what it is. It's not going to be, I don't think the make or break decision or performance for this team, but if your cleanup hitter isn't cleaning up, then this team suddenly loses a lot of the depth in the lineup. And this is a one through four or five that's stacked intentionally because it can generate lots of runs. And if they don't do that, I think it's, going to be because Marcelo Ozuna is underperforming again. So if Ozuna has a big year, the Cardinals will win the NL Central. I like it. I am going to look at the uh, 
you know, I was torn between two things, uh, one talking about the Cardinals and one talking about the Cubs and more talking about like, well, if this happens to the Cubs and the Cardinals will win the division. Sure. Um, I don't know if this is cheating, but I'm going to say it anyway, uh, because we're supposed to be talking about the Cardinals, but I'm going to say. You came up if, with the question, so you can answer however you want. Fair enough. <laughs> if Chris Bryant doesn't bounce back, the Cardinals are going to win the NL Central. Okay. Chris Bryant got off to a uh, start last season that was very Chris Bryant-like, very 2016 Chris Bryant-like. He was great. And then I believe at some point in May, he slid into third, and I want to say he kind of came up gingerly, but he didn't leave the game then, and I don't believe he was placed on the uh, the uh, IL um, at the time. And But it was from that point forward where his production just was not what – what you expect from Chris Bryant. And I don't think, like I said, I don't think he actually went away from the team until a couple weeks later, because I don't know if it was a nagging injury and I'm going to feel really dumb if I'm getting some of these facts wrong. But the sense was when he came back that he was never still quite the same. And just from like little things I've read in spring training, it sounds like he's still not quite on point. And I believe that when he is healthy, like when he, 2016, 2017, I think he's a top three player in the National League. I think he's that good. I think he's just an elite hitter. I think without that bat, I think their lineup is vulnerable. And, you know, you never want to say it's going to come down to one player of whether or not, you know, someone's going to win the division or not. But I'm going to just go ahead and lay it out there. If Chris Bryant is no longer the Chris Bryant we know and well, I don't know, know and love. I don't think that's quite <laughs> If we know and tolerate, then uh, I feel very good about the Cardinals this season. You don't want to say it comes down to one player, but we both just named one player. Right. Right. <laughs> okay, in light of that, prediction number two, is there a way for this Cardinals team to end up third or even fourth and miss the postseason again? Definitely third. I think if you squint, you can see fourth, maybe even fifth if we want to be crazy. Uh, wouldn't that just be awful? That's how good this division is going to yeah, be, though. That's yeah. not because the Cardinals can swing that dramatically. That's because that's how good this division is going to be. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. It kind of, you know, if they finish in fourth, I could see it happening if it was a situation kind of like the 2008 season. When the Cardinals finished fourth in the division, uh, I should also point out there were six teams in the division then because that's when Houston was still in the NL Central. Mm -hmm. But they finished fourth with like an 86 and 76 record. They won 86 games and finished fourth. Now, I think Houston had the exact same record, if I recall. But the point is, it was a very good division that year. And I could see the same thing happening here. I don't think it's likely, but I think how the Cardinals could find themselves in that position is if you look at the pitching staff, because I really believe the offense is deep enough that they're going to score some runs. Even if, not necessarily Fowler, but someone has a season that we just like, oh my gosh, like that guy just can't hit anything. I think they're deep enough to kind of compensate for that. Where I think the team could find themselves in trouble is last year, let's see, Flaherty and Michaelis combined for about 350 innings pitched. I think they need to try and hit those numbers again this year, at least be above 300 combined. But if pitches, if pitches three through five in terms of who ends up throwing the most innings, if they don't hold serve, then I think this could be a long season. And I think that's especially true if 
Andrew Miller is not going to be the Andrew Miller we hope to get, which is a guy who just kind of comes in and puts out fires, and he's more resembles the Andrew Miller of last. Excuse me, the Andrew Miller of last season who had trouble getting out of innings. So if that does happen, meaning if the Cardinals finish in fourth or my gosh fifth, I think we will be talking this time next year about wow that pitching staff was bad. Yeah, (laughs) there is so much about the pitching puzzle this year for the Cardinals that in fairness, when I was trying to decide between Marcelo Zuna and something else, the something else was the pitching (laughs) because that to me is where this can all crumble very easily, but there is a lot more depth in that department. So that's why I went offense over pitching for the previous question. But in this regard, I think that could certainly be the case. I would also say, yes, there's a way for this team to finish third or fourth, miss the postseason, mostly because I think there's that much depth in the division that it's there's not going to be a team that's easy to beat up on, and there's not going to be a team that's going to get walked on outside of the division either. But my answer to this question, how the Cardinals finish fourth or lower, is if Mike Schilt defaults to contracts as opposed to performance. And that applies in pitching, right? If he does the Adam Wainwright should be a starter because he's Adam Wainwright thing. But if he does that in the outfield with either Ozuna or Dexter Fowler, because you know you have Tyler O'Neill and Jose Martinez on your bench, those are the kinds of things that I think it's weird to say that that they might finish that low in the division because of Mike Schilt, but we kind of alluded to the fact that they may have missed the postseason because of Mike Matheny. So if it happens, I think there's enough talent on this team to work around some of the slumps that you'll see, but he has to utilize it correctly and not be so locked into, he's my guy because he's the guy we're paying to be this guy, as opposed to someone else who's actually performing better in the moment. And that's really hard to do, but I think a guy who's the communicator that Mike Schilt is can make it happen. Before we move on, let me ask you a quick question. In most of the years leading up to this one, when Matheny was at the helm, and you heard Joe Sheehan say this a lot, and he was certainly not the only one, which is that you could dock several wins from the Cardinals total at the end of the season just based on the Matheny factor alone, right? You've heard that before. And certainly Mm -hmm. as the season's going along, you'll see people say like, all right, Matheny causes this game, Matheny causes that game, whatever. Are we discussing all this in bad faith if we're not now adding a couple wins to yeah. the Cardinals' win total, like like say we had this exact roster, only Matheny was the manager, and, and say you had to pre- predict a win total, is your number radically different now that Matheny is not the manager? Because I have to be honest, when I thought about it, I don't think I, I think with in both instances my number would be close to ninety. Um, and that's not an indictment on Schill at all. It's more just illustrates that, you know, it, this really is a player's game. And if you have good players, you're probably going to win a lot of games. And I think they do have some good players this season. And, you know, Matheny still took them within two games of winning the World Series. And believe me, I'm not a Matheny defender. But, it, yeah, I, like, it's just funny to me that, like, I feel like, wait, no, Matheny's gone. Like, I, I need to add a couple wins to <laughs> to what I would normally, like, I need to readjust the curve or whatever. Um, but but I don't know if I'm internally doing that. So I'm curious what you think. I feel like I definitely am. And I think it's because 
maybe I'm sort of drinking the the Cardinals Kool-Aid at this point, but I just have I'm so impressed by what he's done, not necessarily he's because great. of the in-game strategy, yeah. but because of what how you hear people talk about him, the kinds of conversations that are had, the guys who have been in this game, the Adam Wainwrights and the Yadier Molinas who just cannot say enough about the way he communicates and the way that he leads. It seems to be making such a difference in the way that guys are preparing for this season. So yeah, I I certainly have added even subliminally, I think some wins this season because of Mike Schilt. And maybe it's a little premature to do that because we haven't really seen him over the course of a full season, but we also, you know, haven't seen Dakota Hudson as a starter over the course of a full season, and we're planning on him being there. So these yeah. are the things we do when we get to make predictions. But I yes, think, I think you're absolutely right. There is a, a Mike Schilt factor like there was a Mike Matheny factor, and for me, it, it adds at least a couple wins. I think I need to just get it jammed in my brain that that uh, Schilt is now the manager, and then <laughs> everything will just recalibrate, and yeah. I will... Uh, you know, adjust everything accordingly. But I, I just don't think it's quite registered yet. It's a really exciting part of this, I think, to see what he does over the course of a oh, season. And also, that, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ever Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's a um, maybe an underrated part of what will define this season for the Cardinals because it's so hard to pinpoint how much a manager actually impacts wins and losses. I was just going to say, because... You know, I've, I've lived several different places, but I'll always just be like a very lame Midwesterner at heart. And so I always feel bad anytime I'm like bashing Matheny because like <laughs> he does, he always seemed to me like he would be like a great neighbor. Yeah. I, I just didn't yeah. want him managing the Cardinals anymore. Which um, I think is but, fair. But I would love it if he moved next door. Perfect. So uh, Mike Matheny, if you're listening, I, I apologize, <laughs> but also... <laughs> Go live next to Alex. All right. <laughs> let's uh, move on to the third projection of the night. Alex, one low-key thing that you want to see happen with the Cardinals or by the Cardinals in 2019. I think it's my turn to go first. I don't know if it counts as low-key because it's the most obvious thing I could possibly say, but I'm going to go with Colton Wong being an all-star. And the reason I say a low-key thing is because – I don't think that's necessarily going to make or break this team, but I think that, and I've said this for a long time now, I think that Colton Wong can be a spark plug. And if he is playing the way that he's capable of playing, it gives this team a different energy. It gives them a different outlook because there's another element to their depth in the lineup, but also to the way that they're able to prevent runs up the the middle of the infield. So if Colton Wong is an all-star, I think that means things are going really well for this team in the first half. And and that'll be a, a great sign for me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he was on the precipice of making the all-star game in like Very 2015, close. maybe? Very close, like yeah. It, uh, but then he just kind of tailed off and he didn't make it. And if I recall, the second half of that season wasn't great, but... You know, so but he's shown that he he can come close. You know, he's been close before, is what I'm yes. saying. So I think that's that's a possibility. What I want to see, my low key thing that I want to see is Dexter Fowler on base. I, I just want to see him reaching base. Um, you know, he has like a career. Uh, he has over a career 360 on base percentage. He doesn't have to be up at like 393, which 
which is what he was in 2016 with the Cubs. You know, there is a reason why we signed this guy. You know, I think I could still write an article of like in defense of the of the Fowler signing because he really was great for the Cubs in 2016. Um, he doesn't have to be that Dexter Fowler. But I just want to see, and he doesn't have to slug near 500, which is what he did his first season with the Cardinals in 2017. I just want to see him get on base. I want to see him look more comfortable at the plate. You know, the it seems like even in 2017, he was looked lost on pitches that I, I felt he looked a little more out of his comfort zone than I was used to seeing Fowler. Uh, so I want to see his on base right around 360, which, you know, isn't outstanding, but it is close to his, uh, it is very good and it's close to his, his league average. He doesn't have to hit for power, just get on base and I think good things will happen. I feel like I say this about guys often who end up being the ones sort of targeted by the fan base for not being good enough. Dexter Fowler doesn't have to be what Bryce Harper might be. He doesn't have to be what Marcelo Zuna might be. He just needs to be what Dexter Fowler is. And if he's that guy, it'll be enough. Yeah, and speaking of Fowler, did you know that he hit eight home runs last year? Because I only remember like two of those. I, I remember obviously against the, yeah, Cubs. the walk off against the Cubs, and then he hit a grand slam, right? Like uh, early in yeah. uh, uh tenor, I, I feel like. Yeah. But we I don't felt remember, like that was going to be the turning point for him, yeah. and then he broke his foot. I don't remember any other home runs. It's kind of like when John Jay played for the Cardinals, and he would hit like four or five a year, and I would never remember any of them. I would just know at the end of the year and be like, John Jay was six home runs. I'm like, six home runs? I, I've been watching all season. I don't remember any of these. When did he hit these? Yeah. So that's kind of how I feel about Fowler's eight last year. But that's neither here nor there. Just get on base this year, Dex, and uh, I think we'll we'll be very happy. All right. So we've got Ozuna having a big year. We've got, uh, on my list, Mike Schilt playing the right guys, Colton Wong being an all-star. Uh, we were talking about Dexter Fowler having a good year. All of these individual players. Oh, and Chris Bryant not having a good year. Not just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What is your projected win total for this team in what will likely be the best division in baseball? The toughest, at least. Yeah, I'm going to be boring and say 90. Uh, I feel like that's a very easy answer. Um, That seems to be right where everyone is hovering right now. But it's just hard for me to go much higher than that. Excuse me, go much higher than that with how tough the division is this year. So... I'm going to go 93, and maybe this is me adding those extra few Mike yeah, Schilt wins yeah. in, into the mix. So 93 is where I kind of have been landing every time I think about this, and I would be very happy with that. I, I think, you know, it's weird looking at where these teams finished last year, how many wins it took to to win the division, but I do think the division is going to be tougher this year. I think that they're, they're going to beat each other up a little bit, and, and we'll see what happens there, but... 93 to me sounds like a, a pretty good landing spot. I hope which, you're right. Which the, <laughs> I, I hope that I, I think that wins the division. Not to uh, influence what you're going to say yeah, there you go. next, but if if I were picking the cars win 93, I would also be picking them to win the division. And maybe I still am. I don't know. We're, we have well. Let's slide right into that then <laughs> uh, and project the standings for the division. I feel like if you asked me five different times, I would probably give you five different answers because I'd talked myself into five different things that could determine what the the landscape of the division would be. I'll go first with my winner. 
and I'm, I don't know how strongly I believe this because I can make an argument for any of the top three teams. I think that the Brewers are still really, really strong Ooh, offensively. Wow. I, that. Okay. I know, I know. I think that I really like the, the offensive firepower they have. Their starting pitching is kind of scary, but it was last year too. And they managed to find ways to make that work. I don't know if they can repeat the bullpen magic that they had last year. I know they've got some guys that are injured right now that would ideally be part of that mix and will likely be at some point down the the stretch, but there's just a lot of there's a lot of firepower there and guys who now have been there and were one win away from the World Series and I think are going to be really hungry to prove that it wasn't a fluke. Okay. So they're my one. I've got the Cardinals in second. And at, with 93 wins, I think it'll be very close at the top. I've got Cardinals number two, Cubs three, Reds and Pirates four and five. But here's the thing. Uh, I think that anywhere, I mean, honestly, anywhere between one through three could flip any way you choose. But I also think that three through five could probably flip just about any way based on a couple of bad breaks at some point during the season. I think the Reds are going to be super interesting. I don't know that that means they're going to be uh, particularly successful. I think the Pirates feel like they have some pitching that can put them in the mix, but I just don't find them very compelling right now. So those two for me are still at the bottom of the division, but I mean, flip a coin and any one significant thing that happens to any one of those teams could totally change the the order of that at the end. Okay. So I'm going to be boring. I have the Cubs in first, and my reasoning is not good. It's, it's just because it's hard for me to put them anywhere else until I see it with my own eyes that they're no longer the best team in the division. And that sounds really dumb coming off a year when they didn't in fact win the division. But I, I just feel like there were some fluky things involved in that. Uh, but like you said, it, you know, it wouldn't surprise, nothing about the Cubs would really surprise me. Uh, I could see them winning anywhere from 84 to 96 games, you know, and which is a pretty big, uh, you know, that, that covers a lot of ground. I, I think back to like 2017 and I remember talking with some people about, you know, doing a same sort of exercise to what we're doing now. And when it came to the wild cards in the National League, I picked the Giants just because I feel like, well, they're the Giants and they've been around for a while. So I'll pick the Giants. And you know what? If I recall, they were horrible. And I should have known they were horrible because they were horrible in the second half of the 2016 season, if you recall. But I just felt like, well, you know, they've been successful lately, so I'm just just going to assume they'll be successful until I have, it's proved positive that they're not. So I'm kind of doing the same thing with the Cubs, uh, and that's very lazy, uh, but that's what I'm doing. Uh, but very I, defensible. I mean, I, like I said, I could have argued the division well, for any one of those teams. Yeah, and like... You know, I, I still just wonder how much of this stuff is just garbage that we're going to forget about once the season starts. Uh, if it gives me any comfort, it's that, you know, Madden, you know, I talked about how the Cubs, you know, how much can change in a year, but mostly for Madden, right? Because he was just like the yeah. the golden child, like like, you know, how many years ago? And now he is just like somehow morphed into this, the perception is he's just like this guy who's out of, I don't know if out of touch is the right word, but that he's kind of like, he seems like this cranky guy most of the time where that was 
you know, he always was a very competitive and fiery guy, but he always had that like playful side to him as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. And frankly, I couldn't be happier about this. Uh, (laughs) Not because, and and I'll tell you why, like, I I think Joe Madden is an excellent manager. And and I I still think that, you know, I, and you know, his resume certainly bears that out. But nothing annoys me more. And and I guarantee this is why so many people hated LaRusa. And it's that nothing annoys me more when it's the perception that like this guy's operating on a completely different level from everyone else, <laughs> you know? And like, he, he, I, I think back to the 2017 playoffs when he kind of made some bad decisions and like people realize, oh yeah, I mean, he's a good manager, but he's not like a genius, right? <laughs> right, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's almost, the tide is almost turned to like, to like where he's a moron. And you know, that's not true either. You know, he's he's a good manager. He's not a genius and he's certainly not a moron. You see this a lot in politics in DC where like some young campaign manager will like be successful and people will like laud him as a genius. And then he loses the next race. And I'm talking about someone in particular. If, and then all of a sudden he's just like, Oh, that guy doesn't know anything. Well, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's not quite how, you know, he's neither, again, he's neither of those things. And yes, I'm sure everyone tuned in to hear me talk about, Politics. So I'm just going to move on. All right. So Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I know we said this last year too. Their starting pitching still doesn't inspire me, but they were certainly great last year. And they, you could even argue they improved their roster in the offseason. So, like, it wouldn't surprise me if they finished where you picked them. Reds and Pirates uh, were tough. Uh, but I have Reds and then Pirates. Uh, and I actually like both teams, but I, I'm going to give the Reds the morale boost. I just don't think the Pirates <laughs> have the morale that the Reds have right now. Like, their fans are angry, and they should be angry. Like, can you th- – I, I don't – I can't think of a team that would be more frustrating to follow right now than the Pirates. Mm, yeah. I mean, can you think of a single game-changing free agent that they've had in, in recent memory? I mean, it just doesn't exist, right? No, they just don't no. really – play that way and you know they and their their plan has been really hard to distinguish too because you know you you trade your cornerstone of your outfield and andrew mccutcheon and their number one draft pick yeah in the draft and garrett cole who's looking like he was gonna be their ace and that just took the wind i think out a lot of fan sales and like blanco hasn't quite turned out like like we all hope. But then they turn around after trading off all those pieces. So you think, okay, we're in rebuild mode and go out and trade for Chris Archer at the deadline. And and trade away some significant pieces. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very strange dynamic with the pirates right now. And I think there's some intrigue to their pitching. I just am not sure that they have enough to, to really pull off anything particularly special right now. Yeah. It's, uh, they have one of those lineups that is pretty solid. It's not horrible in any yeah. spot. You know, you can, I don't know. I, I, they just don't, they don't inspire too much confidence <laughs> that they're going right. to be better than the Reds. I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, and the Reds certainly have flaws too. But again, I'm giving them the all important morale boost. And the boost of Yasiel Puig hitting in their ballpark. Half that's, the year. Yeah, that, I that, mean, that, that feels well. like it's going to be that, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So those that's are cool. our five 
major predictions as far as this season. But last minute, I kind of threw one bonus prediction at Alex just because I thought it might be fun to come up with one sort of hot take style. Hey, this probably isn't very realistic, but I'm going to say it's going to happen anyway kind of prediction. So Alex, I know that you were still kind of juggling a couple of options. So I will go ahead and, Mm. uh, and go first on this one. I had a couple of ways that I was thinking about going with it as well, but I don't know that this is a hot take as much as it is just a a bit unlikely. And that is that Alex Reyes finally wins rookie of the year. Mm. I think there's a lot to be determined about how he is involved in this team this year. And certainly everyone will be kind of holding their breath throughout the season hoping that he stays healthy finally, but man, he's so special. And I know we all know that and we keep hearing that and we keep saying that, but I can't get over this idea of him being just such a a huge success in whatever role he's asked to play this year. I think the role he's asked to play will sort of define where he ranks on that rookie of the year status, but that is why it's not necessarily a likely prediction, but a bold one to say the least. Okay. So I originally was going to say something very similar to what you just said. And it was that Schilt was going to win manager of the year. Goldschmidt was going to win MVP and Reyes was going to win rookie of the year. I couldn't quite give anyone Cy Young because, you know, Max Scherzer and there's other people lurking around that I just couldn't quite bump Flaherty or Michaelis over, um, but I'm going to go with my other one, and that's that Tyler O'Neill is going to finish the season with the second most home runs on the club to Paul mm. Interesting. And he's going to do it in fewer than 400 plate appearances. I like it. And he's going to – I'm going to keep going. And he's going okay. to hit 27 home runs. Oh, all right. We've got a number and everything. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I should write that down in case it comes to fruition. Well, the good news yeah. is we have it recorded, so we can always come <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, at some point, someone will probably yeah. come back to these predictions and be like, well, you said, um, which is why I usually hate doing predictions, but this was fun. And I hope that some of them are correct so that we can circle back to them at some point. Or, you know, they all just go horribly wrong and we can circle back to this at the end of the season and say, see, predictions at the beginning of the year mean nothing. No one knows anything before uh, before opening day even happens. So predictions from you is what I would like to see. Tweet them at us. You can answer all five, well, six, I guess, of these questions if you'd like, or just send us the ones that you have the most compelling answer to, the ones that you care about the most, or if you disagree with us on some of those things, make sure that you share those things with us on Twitter. As always, Alex, a chirp of the week? I do have one. I thought of it at the very last minute because I was just busy with other things and I kind of forgot about it. Uh, and if you follow me on Twitter, you've already seen me mention this. And that's that if, if say we're in August of this season and the Cardinals aren't playing as well as we hoped, let's say the playoffs just don't look like they're happening. There is still something to cheer for, and that's that if the Cardinals finish ahead of the Pirates in the standings, 
they will have done so for the 20th straight year, (laughs) going all the way back to 1999. And that's currently the longest in-division streak in baseball. Um, The only streak I could find in my limited research that is longer is from 1994 to 2014, when the Yankees finished ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays every season in the uh, AL East. Um, obviously one of those years, um, in 1994 extends into when they had the old division realignment. So it was kind of, uh, slightly different for one of those years. And in terms of what's the all time, uh, longest streak of this record that I'm sure no one else but me cares about that. I don't know. And I actually emailed, uh, my favorite baseball podcast to see if they would answer that question for me. And I got a reply back. Uh, that made me think that they might. So if they do, I will be in touch on what that answer is. But your chirp of the week for this week is that the Cardinals are very close to besting the Pirates for 20 straight seasons. And if the projections go accordingly, that will happen. So yes. It's it crazy, is cool, right? Unless yeah, like, that's a very fan. long time. Yeah, I mean, it's not great to be a Pirates fan. It's but. just pile on the fact that it's yeah. a very frustrating time for Pirates fans. But no, that's a, it. It really, on a serious note, it, it's impressive because it shows you how long the Cardinals have been able to have some level of success. They may not always be in the final series of the year. They may not always make the postseason, but there's been a long stretch where the Cardinals have been competitive. They've been, you know, winning teams. And I don't mean just finishing over 500, but they've been a force in this division. And the Pirates may be uh, suffered the, the worst of that, but it's an impressive streak nonetheless. Yeah, I'm 40 years old, and this is this is uh, taken up half my life. So I think it's it's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a solid uh, a solid streak for sure. So chirp of the week: Cardinals over the Pirates potentially 20 straight years. Now I promised you a special announcement at the end of the show. We have reached that point. I'm very excited to announce to all of you that Birds on the Black has chosen a charity project to adopt, if you will, this season. And after speaking with the fine folks over at Big League Impact, which is, of course, Adam Wainwright's charity and foundation that now extends to guys throughout Major League Baseball, we have decided on the project that we want to come alongside throughout the season. Miles Michaelis and his wife Lauren last season chose to take on a campaign in St. Louis that focused on the refuge home in St. Louis. It's a rehabilitation center that works with survivors of sex trafficking, and they are working towards a goal of funding an entire renovation project for that home. So they have a fundraising goal set. We're going to do our part to try to help them meet that fundraising goal, and it's going to include all of you. We're going to have projects all throughout the season. We're going to have some fun things like merch and and things that you can actually get from this project. But we're also going to just encourage each other to use this little baseball community that we've built to do some good for some people who really need the help. So Lauren and Miles Michaelis are going to be the source of where all of that attention is going to be placed, but the work is going to be for the Refuge Home in St. Louis the campaign that Miles Michaelis has chosen through Big League Impact. 
and we can't wait to bring you guys along for that ride. There will be more information as we go along. We've run a bit long, but that's because there was a lot to get to as our final off-season show concludes. Make sure that you are following Birds on the Black on Twitter and subscribing to the Birds on the Black podcast on whatever your favorite podcast listening service might be. Guys, we're almost to opening day. (laughs) Enjoy it. We'll talk to you next time.